Welcome to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for coming back on to the Long-Term Care Chronicles podcast. Uh, You were on here last year uh, discussing um, your journey as a caregiver, and now you're here discussing your book that you're writing, uh, Running with Unicorns. And so before we start, if you can just, you know, tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks for this opportunity. Um, I'm retired. Uh, I'm very active, still very active. Uh, I, I didn't even start university till I was 36 years old. And I credit a lot of that to uh, Sandra. Uh, I, I give her a lot of credit for the wonderful life that I've had because I went to university um, with the idea that I would get into med school and uh, eventually, naively, I thought, cure Sandra. Um, I ended up with a master's degree in community psychology. Uh, I wanted to become a psychiatrist, as I said, and cure Sandra. She had been diagnosed with schizophrenic tendencies uh, at, uh, at 22 years. I had two interviews at med school. I was turned down, one because of my age, and uh, two because uh, my thinking wasn't mainstream. Uh, They wanted team players, and I had my own thoughts, and I stuck by them. I'm still sticking by them. So I I ended up spending 25 years uh, working uh, and volunteering in the not-for-profit industry. I started as an area coordinator, uh, which is probably the lowest position uh, at the Heart and Stroke Foundation and worked my way up to be vice president of regional services. I developed their provincial wide chapter structure. And uh, then I, um, after 13 years with them, I said to the CEO, said I'm applying for another job not that I'm unhappy with where I am but you're older than me you're going to retire first I've never had uh, an executive director or CEO uh, position and uh, I just want to go through the interview process well I ended up being hired by the Easter Seal Society of Ontario and I spent my last eight years uh, there Um, working with children with physical disabilities. I retired in um, 2006. And uh, that's when I actually uh, started seriously writing. Wow, that is quite, quite the journey that you've had. And um, I'm sure very rewarding. You've seen a lot of seen a lot of things from a different viewpoint as well during that journey as well. I have. I can imagine. And so then what then prompted you to write the book Running with Unicorns? It never really started. I, I never really started uh, thinking uh, I'm going to write a book. Uh, I, it started as an activity to keep Sandra busy. Uh, um, she was always asking, um, what do you do? What can I do? And um, I was never really meant to be a part of that book. 
in the end, I'm the whole of part one. It's almost part one is almost like an autobiography. Mm -hmm. Um, But I had Sandra write, I said, write Sandra, write letters and do poems and limericks, do drawings, send me letters. Uh, I I ended up with a whole um, accordion file of notes from her um, that she never really sent, she never mailed, but she gave them to me uh, periodically. Once in a while, I'd get a letter at my birthday. She'd say, maybe this is something we, we could include if we write a book. Those were her words. And um, when our mother died in 1990, uh, her last words, our mother was Sandra's caregiver, her last words were take care of each other. And this was my way of not losing touch. Um, So uh, I pulled out Sandra's notes and memories to help me, uh, you know, uh, think of uh, how to confirm my uh, original thought that if she had balance, I'm thinking if she had balance in her life, Uh, she would be fine, Uh, you know, because I had balance and um, I, uh, everyone was looking at Sandra and I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm feeling very balanced. If if I could get Sandra some balance. So I spent the next 30 years before I retired uh, looking for balance for her. And when I pulled out these notes in 2006, it was really to confirm my thinking Um, that uh, she needed balance. Um, So the title changed many times between balance and running with unicorns. Uh, Running with unicorns is uh, the current working title uh, because of a blog I read of a secret unicorn blog um, that the quote is the unicorn does not use the opinions and desires of others to decide what it should do. It goes by an inner compass. And uh, I know there are some sexual connotations with the word unicorn, but that quote is exactly, I had to throughout all this journey, uh, ignore the opinions of others and stick with my own opinion. So, In the um, 70s, the current flavor was blame the mother. Um, Sandra's problems were because of poor child rearing practices. Uh, The focus was always on Sandra. Her life was clearly a nightmare. And she she struggled with demons her whole life. Uh, But I grew up in the same family. I had the same mother, the same father, the same surroundings. And I was happy I was successful I kept getting more and more successful and I wondered you know well what's the difference and as I previously said at first I thought it was this sense of balance that I spent many many years trying to um, uh, find for Sandra. Well that's that's quite um, it's quite the the journey and the inspiration as well and so What was Sandra like? What was her needs like? Sandra was extremely funny. She would make us laugh all the time. She was also very, very intelligent. And uh, a lot of people uh, do not appreciate the fact that 
individuals with any sort of mental challenge can be uh, super intelligent, but she was. Uh, I could have conversations with her that I couldn't have with uh, um, a majority of people. And I think you also have to realize when people are uh, mentally challenged, they do not, they are not mentally challenged um, 24 seconds, uh, a minute, 24 minutes, an hour, 24 hours a day. Uh, they may go in and out. And um, Sandra and I had a bond that crossed her illness. And I could, I could pull her back uh, into an intelligent conversation, even if demons entered her head. Uh, we had we had that bond that crossed her illness um, because she did struggle with demons. She spent most of her days talking to family um, family members and looking for things to do. Um, she only held a few full time jobs. Uh, she worked in a factory for about a year, and she was in the army for about a year. And uh, she was beautiful when she was in the army and that rigid structure. Uh, and it again made me think um, that she needed balance. Uh, we were a family of five children and Sandra spent her, her days um, talking to each of us, uh, talking and well, mostly talking. Uh, I basically remember when um, voicemail came in that I said, this is the best thing in the world for Sandra because I never, I didn't live in the city of Toronto. She did. And she would call my voicemail anytime, day or night. And I might have 15 messages from Sandra uh, when I went into work, but she could hear my voice and that was calming for her. So she kept us informed. And um, as I said, we were a family of five, two boys and three girls. Only one sister, Christine and I um, are currently living. Uh, Christine also visited Sandra regularly. And that was my motivation to get Sandra in a particular long-term care facility that was close to Christine. So uh, she was always looking for a purpose. Where can I go? What can I do? Who can I visit? Can I get a job? Can I stop smoking? How can I help? She wanted to donate her body to science, um, but due to family dynamics, that, that never happened. Um, at age 33, Sandra was badly beaten by uh, a, a group of boys who took her running shoes and her jacket. Uh, her jaw was broken. She was kicked in the body and kicked in the head. And um, uh, in defense of my sister and my mom, uh, I, I was like 100 miles away, but um, they called from the uh, eMERGE and they wanted her committed to the psychiatric ward. And I said, just, just a minute, can I talk to the doctor? And but I didn't see her face swollen up like five times its normal size, black and blue. And when I spoke to the doctor, I said, um, I said, may I speak with Sandra? And <clears throat> she said, yes. She held the phone up to Sandra's ear. And Sandra and I had been 
reading me for the umpteenth time, her for the first time, Wuthering Heights. So I asked her some questions about Wuthering Heights. What did she think of Catherine? What did she think of Heathcliff? And uh, she responded appropriately. She talked, she gave me her opinions. <clears throat> I said, would you give the phone back to the doctor? And she did. And I said, uh, Sandra doesn't need the psychiatric ward right now. <clears throat> the doctor agreed. But for other family members, um, that was hard. They just wanted her locked up and safe. And I could understand that. Um, when uh, the beating caused her to develop uh, dementia in her 50s, and she'd become lost and disoriented. And that's what prompted me finally to move in and find a safe place for her to live uh, and led me into the realm of long-term care. Well, that's, that's quite a story and, and quite a loving one, actually, in terms of what you've described. So in your book as well, you, you, you write of the support challenges uh, that you faced and um, what's it like, you know, during that whole caregiving journey process. Could you just tell us a little bit more about that? In a few words, it was a nightmare. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I do have to couch that by saying, um, this was 15 years ago. Um, I've kept up with um, the uh, news and newspaper reports, and I do still have uh, some young people from Easter Seals, that um, one that just passed, and she passed in uh, a long-term care facility. They connected with me uh, through the years. One still I believe he's living on his own. Uh, he's an amazing young man. And, um, but uh, there will come a time will, where he will need more support than he's able to get. Um, <clears throat> but um, I don't think a lot has changed. In fact, I know some has changed, but there's still a long, long way to go. Um, I, I worry about the number of individuals, uh, both aging uh, and young and um, uh, mentally challenged that are falling through the cracks that need support that today's world is not providing, at least in the province of Ontario. Um, psychiatrists didn't believe there was anything wrong with Sandra other than that she was diagnosed having as having schizophrenic tendencies but um, they felt there was nothing really, nothing really had changed in, uh, I guess she was diagnosed in 22 and we're talking early fifties now, nothing had changed in 30 years. And um, Sandra was very intelligent. As I said, uh, I would go with her and sit in the outer office. And because she was in her fifties, I wasn't allowed in. Um, <clears throat> and she would uh, grab a newspaper speak to the other clients that were waiting and find out what the date was, look at the newspaper, see what the current events were, what the weather was. She knew all the questions they would ask her to identify whether she was lucid or not. And she had all, she was prepared before she went in. So she went in, had a two to three minute visit, turned around and came out and we went on our way. Um, the medical doctors really didn't want to get involved uh, with psychiatric problems. And of course, because of Sandra's age, uh, they wouldn't speak with me. 
The doctors and the psychiatrists didn't communicate. Um, I had Sandra assessed at CAMH because I believed her meds weren't holding her any longer. And um, uh, I was shocked when they came back and said, uh, it's not her schizophrenia. Sandra's suffering from dementia from the beating. <clears throat> she went six months without increased medication that she needed uh, before I could uh, get her in a, a let's say, a, 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 a medically balanced frame of mind. Uh, the system was so, so slow. I had to follow up many, many times to get reports to take from one to the other. Um, when Ontario closed its institutions for the, the uh, mentally challenged, um, they, it, I thought this is wonderful. It was a good thing because these people, um, they, they, <clears throat> they, they do have a life. It's maybe not our life, but they have their own life. And I thought this is wonderful. However, what didn't happen then and is still not happen, happening is the support system needed in the community to, to assist these people. It just wasn't there. So uh, that I believe has attributed to the increased number of homeless and uh, straight people. <clears throat> um, Christine and I often had to uh, trick Sandra into uh, gaining asset access to her ODSP checks. Um, she would spend them all and have nothing left to pay for rent. Our mother had left her the apartment, which we eventually had to move her out of because people took advantage of her. And um, I um, said to Sandra, Sandra, I'm over 60. I don't pay um, bank fees. So if we had a joint account, um, you wouldn't pay bank fees and I could, uh, uh, and we could, you could still get your money. So she liked that. So she agreed to a joint bank account and I could follow what she was doing. Um, at one point in time, Christine had to go to the bank at five in the morning on the day we had to track what day does ODSP checks come and take the money out before Sandra took it all out and spent it. Um, in our last attempt to su support some sort of independent living, we found a group home for Sandra. Um, again, here, uh, we didn't know all the ins and outs and uh, residents um, in the group home were uh, asked to leave for a number of hours a day so that they could clean the house. It makes a lot of sense. And if they had told us in the beginning, we would have made allowances for that. But we didn't know what Sandra did. She was asked to leave. She had no one to visit. I was working. Christine was working. Um, uh, she, she didn't know where she would go. She had a few friends and, and she would do that. But her main activity was to ride the subway. And uh, uh, we made sure she had a, a transit pass every month. And she would ride the subway for hours. Well, um, one day in November 2007, she got on the subway and um, fell asleep. It was cold. Uh, she was warm in the subway. Uh, when this particular subway didn't come back, it just didn't go to the end, turn around and come back. 
uh, it said everyone off end of the line. And Sandra found herself in the West End of Toronto, uh, born and raised in the East End. She knew nothing about the West End. Uh, and um, the police found her in a snowbank in Toronto's West End. Her wrist was broken. She was totally disoriented. Um, Sandra wore Coke bottle glasses. Without her glasses, she was almost blind. So to have fallen, not be able to get up, break her wrist, uh, of course, she was disoriented. Uh, she was lost for seven days. And uh, thanks to the diligence of a social worker at the hospital where Sandra was, uh, she looked up uh, applications for rooms or uh, apartments, and she found my name as a contact uh, three years prior uh, for Sandra. And um, she contacted me, and that's how we were able to find Sandra and bring her home. Um, so finding a safe place for Sandra at that point in time became a 24-7 job for me. I, um, I wrote to psychiatrists. I told them uh, uh, that I told him that Sandra had triggers and I needed that uh, I needed her to be declared incompetent. Um, I had to admit her. Well, anyway, when when we did go, he said uh, he asked Sandra, could Charlotte come and sit in if as long as she doesn't speak or say anything? Sandra said yes. So he asked her all the regular questions. And then he asked her a very benign question for you and I. He said, uh, who pays your rent? And Sandra put her fist through the wall and said, I am sponsored. She was very worried about people taking her money. And uh, she says either the government sponsors her or uh, my husband uh, sponsored her. Uh, so she said he didn't. But um, she, uh, there were a few more little triggers and uh, he looked at me with his eyes like saucers and uh, agreed that Sandra needed more help than we were able to provide. So um, she, much to the chagrin of my family members, I had her admitted to hospital on December 20th, 2007. Everyone of course wanted her home for Christmas. And um, I was told that everyone who has a loved one in hospital wants them home for Christmas. I won't have a bed after Christmas. I have a bed now. She either goes in now or she won't get in. And um, I agreed to have her admitted. Um, once in, she was assessed. He admitted that Sandra needed long-term care. The community care access centers were not really a help. Um, uh, I had to find the right one. I, I literally had to learn the system. Uh, I, as I said, uh, when I lived in Toronto for the short period of time, I lived in Leaside. So that's the community care access center that I called. After a lot of uh, phone calls and visits, I was told, no, you're, you're, at the wrong community care access center, you think they would all know the same yeah. uh, information, but you have to apply to Scarborough because that's the last, that's where the group home was. That's Sandra's last address. And um, I, I had to 
I learned that I had to gain power of attorney. Um, the province assigned a public guardian. And I thought, isn't this wonderful? Until I saw uh, it was only $20 a month, but $20 a month came out of Sanders Bank. And I said, what is this for? And they said, for the public guardian. And I said, but she's not doing anything. Uh, she's maybe now and then pointing me in the right direction. Everyone was free with their advice, but um, so I, I had to gain power of attorney. Um, Sandra um, broke her glasses and uh, ODSP wouldn't pay. As I said, she was literally blind without her glasses. Um, the optometrist said, uh, I haven't been paid for the last glasses that you and I paid half for. And I said, why? He said, well, I'm about to retire. Would you go to the office with me? I said, sure. So took the afternoon off, went to ODSP offices and said, Sandra needs new glasses. I can't remember now the amount of time that uh, is necessary for new glasses, but Sandra didn't meet that timeline. And they said, no, she's not allowed new glasses. And he pulled out um, an arm uh, that was broken so that the, um, uh, the screws weren't, uh, he couldn't just fix it with the screws. And he showed it to ODSP. Uh, they agreed to pay and they paid for the previous visit. And when we went out back to the car, he gave me the broken arm and he said, keep this. And uh, I looked at him and I said, why did they pay now so easily? He said, because of this. I had something to show them that I couldn't fix it. Uh, so there were, as I said, uh, always hoops to jump through to get her the care that she needed. Um, when, uh, I, when she had uh, a, a raise assessment, um, uh, an assessment. Uh, she was identified, Sandra was a smoker, but uh, she was identified as exit seeking. And um, I, so that limited the homes that she was allowed to go to. And they wanted a locked ward. And I said, Sandra's not exit seeking. She actually loved it in the hospital. Um, what had happened was she followed another resident, another patient down outside so she could have a cigarette and couldn't find her way back because she was disoriented. But she was trying to find her way back. I said, she's not exit seeking at all. Uh, so there were a number of things. They said, <clears throat> she's incontinent. I, I said, she's not, she never has been. And there, I said, the assessment is wrong. So the assessment then for a few months, it uh, uh, colored the long-term care units I was allowed to apply to. And I kept insisting that I had to have the assessment redone uh, because Sandra did smoke uh, initially uh, within, I'd say the time she was in hospital, Christine and I turned her from a smoker to a non-smoker. Um, and uh, I said, all you have to do is look at the book and see how many times she goes out. And um, I was then in, after two and a half months of uh, uh, looking for long-term care homes, I, I was told to pick three. 
I visited 12. Several were totally unsuitable. One, I, my husband actually commented, I wouldn't put our dog in here. I'll, I'll name no names. Um, this was a long time ago. And um, two actually were kind enough to admit we don't have the staff. We, we, we can't handle someone like Sandra. And uh, only two responded in writing that they would not accept Sandra. Uh, the Ontario law is that they must, well, at least it was 15 years ago, they must uh, respond within 30 days. Nobody responded. Uh, I, I, as I said, I got two responses saying no out of 12. Uh, after two and a half months, the hospital started pressuring um, me to take and Christine to take Sandra home more Christine because she was uh, living in Toronto and uh, Christine couldn't handle that pressure and I wouldn't budge. Um, I was invited to a, uh, they threatened uh, to send Sandra to Whitby. She's going to Whitby. Uh, Whitby, we live, Christine lived in Scarborough. I said, I said, no, that's not, not appropriate. Nobody's going to be able to visit. And I <clears throat> was in um, Waterloo. So uh, even further, I said, that's not appropriate. She's never going to have anyone be able to visit her. So uh, I held firm and um, uh, I ended up um, threatening media and political intervention. And suddenly a space was found for Sandra in an appropriate long-term care. So March, 2008, Sandra entered the long-term care system. Well, that's uh, what you've defined, what you've said, uh, definitely speaks to most of the challenges that I'm sure a lot of caregivers can be able to relate to um, because it's just, uh, it's an un, it's a lot of learning um, to be able to support somebody. And I know you, you've mentioned it before in terms of the finding balance, but for you, what is balance for you in this caregiving journey? Because um, that's very hard to find when you're caring, when you're caregiving for somebody. It is, it is. But for me, uh, balance is being able to be calm, uh, being happy with yourself. I mean, you're not always happy the way things are going, but uh, I could accomplish a lot more by being calm and uh, thinking things through than uh, yelling and screaming. I'd get nowhere. People would just shut down. So I, I found for me, um, I could remain calm, become calm uh, by uh, continually moving. It's always been movement for me. Uh, I started with yoga. I discovered that my body and mind could relax and I could find them on a three by six mat. Um, it was my escape. Um, I'd lie back, close my eyes, clears my, clear my mind and, and focus uh, totally on being in the current space. The exercises of yoga um, and the meditative techniques they're, they're only aids to lead you to a state of mind. And it's that state of mind that you have to find that that's my sense of balance. Um, I ended up teaching the, the, the more stressful things got, the more I, uh, I needed uh, avenues to find this calm. 
So you, you can't be of any use to anyone uh, uh, until you are able to take care of yourself. Uh, mostly women, but some men have this caregiving gene and they, they, they just want to take, care, take them in their arms, hug them and make everything better. Uh, if you think of um, instructions you receive on an airplane, put your face mask on first and then assist others. And it's the same um, with uh, yoga, with moving. It doesn't need to be yoga. Uh, it can be any movement. And uh, through the years, mine changed, but it was always moving. Um, as, as we age, the world throws us lemons and uh, either through illness or the pandemic. And you may have to modify what activities you do. Uh, when I was very young, it was swimming. I was a fish in the water. Then it became yoga. Then when I retired, I became a gym rat. And then I became ill. And now it's walking and yoga, a little yoga, but I walk. Um, age, age is not a number. Uh, age, is an, age is a number, not a condition. Yes. It's not a condition. So... <clears throat> Uh, I would suggest that uh, people do what they can, but uh, always move. Um, I actually started teaching yoga at the long-term care facility. Um, and uh, Sandra, I went up, brought her down. She, uh, she laughed and laughed. She thought it was hilarious. Uh, my son, who's a firefighter, uh, took a couple of my classes and he laughed and laughed too. But uh, I noticed now that more and more men are acknowledging that they need the stretching, they need to move, and uh, it's becoming much more popular. Uh, Sandra walked. Uh, she would walk, as I said, money was always her thing. Uh, she would walk uh, from uh, Lawrence and, um, what is it? Well, Danforth Road, McCowan. Lawrence and McCowan down to Queen Street daily um, to check on all her banks. She maybe had four or five and she would go in, <clears throat> deposit a couple of loonies or toonies and go to the next bank, check her balance, etc. That was her world. Um, when Sandra was in long-term care, when she couldn't walk anymore, I would take her wheelchair, push her into the sun so she could feel the sun and wind on her face and you could see her face just light up. So to keep my balance as I aged, I um, as I age, <laughs> I modify my movements, but I never stop moving. Yeah, that that is definitely something to take uh, is to always always be in movement. So I know in your book, and you've touched upon it here in the discussion, is mental health. And what would you advise in regards to um, how does someone, you know, keep their mental health with them? Well, I can only advise or suggest what I do and uh, what I suggest to my friends and anyone who asks is, um, number one, I, I make a list. I make a list of what I want to accomplish every day. And... Uh, right at the top of the list is physical. Uh, I have to do something physical. Um, when we're finished talking, I'm gonna walk. 
because <laughs> that that's what I do. So I'll walk for about an hour and uh, then I'll come back and uh, on my list also is a, a household um, chore. It doesn't have to be a big one. I could clean a, a drawer or a closet or go through my clothes. Uh, uh, it, it could be minimal, but every day I, I do one household chore and you need to know, I, I don't like doing household chores. Not <laughs> many people do, but, um, but I just do one and I don't overdo it. I just do one. Uh, and I'm ashamed to say that um, when Sandra passed, uh, I went through her closet and drawers and uh, I was appalled. Um, I had five garbage bags of clothes, birthday cards from 10 years prior, some food items uh, in her. I don't know who I thought was going to go through her things on a regular basis. I didn't think. And um, I was... Um, uh, as I said, I was appalled. Uh, but every day I try and make my surroundings uh, a place for me to enjoy. Uh, and that, that brings me happiness that, you know, when I look and I see and it's, it looks nice. I love that. Um, I, I stay connected. I try and make three people smile every day. It's very easy for me walking for an hour because uh, I meet people on the street. Uh, I know all their dogs' names. I may not know their names, but uh, uh, we nod. Uh, and because we're outside, we social distance, but don't necessarily wear our masks. Um, there's a woods where behind where I live. I walk the woods and um, it's... Uh, uh, I email uh, to some people who are housebound to some of my former Easter Seal uh, children uh, a smile every day. So, uh, and I get a, a comment back that that was very funny, or I really like that, or they'll send me a smile. And uh, so, staying connected is very, very important. Um, and I chunk everything down. Um, Sandra appeared in my planner every single day. It was either check with, with the long-term care, check with the doctors, pick up socks for Sandra or visit. There'll always be something beyond our control, but I always know if I can breathe, I can do yoga and the calm and balance will come. Yeah. Definitely. And because I mean, in, uh, in your book, in chapter seven, uh, you write of shifting gears um, in the caregiving journey. Could you just uh, explain a little bit more on this? Sure. And uh, <clears throat> this is a crucial point because uh, uh, after 30 years of caring for Sandra, and as I said, it was Sandra that sent me to university and uh, my undergraduate, my undergraduate thesis was on children and death, because my first belief was that uh, Sandra suffered from an incomplete death concept. So I followed that whole realm of um, uh, children and their understanding of death. Our grandfather died when she was very young. And um, after 30 years of thinking that I needed to find balance for Sandra, I realized that 
Sandra was balanced. It wasn't my balance uh, or what I would choose as uh, balance for Sandra. But uh, when I looked at her notes, she did exactly what we talked about. She made lists. She stayed connected. She was the glue in our family. She did have friends. Uh, she actually uh, took courses. She always tried to improve herself. She took, she wanted to take a French course one night, uh, one night a week. I said, mm -hmm. fine. And uh, I said, I'll pay for it. I think that's a great idea. She wanted to learn French. So um, she did. And the last night of the French class, they went uh, down to King Street to a French restaurant uh, to order. Well, um, they could bring a guest and uh, Sandra invited me not only to pay, which, <laughs> but uh, uh, also uh, because she tried, but uh, it was difficult for her. And um, Sandra, if you saw her, she looked like a street person. Uh, that's just the way she dressed, uh, ball cap, plaid shirt, jeans. Um, and uh, so the others in the French class really ostracized her so her and I sat and talked mm -hmm. and um, at that point in time I was the only one in the family that could uh, speak French just high school French um, and uh, so we looked at the menu and I in the time that the others were chatting and carrying on talking French I taught her how to order in French and she was so proud and the others were so amazed that Sandra could order in print. <laughs> so um, she, she was balanced. She did, <clears throat> she did know what the right path was. She just uh, wasn't on it. Um, and the second thing was I became ill. I developed an autoimmune disease and I had to focus on my own physical health. So blood tests, liver scans, ultrasound, they became a part of my everyday life. I had to be careful when I visited Sandra that I didn't become ill. So my visits were reduced. Christine continued to visit, but I hired a sitter to visit on days when I wasn't able to. Uh, I had to look after me so that I, I could look after Sandra. Yeah, I can definitely understand. And Sandra was a younger person in long-term care. And... What were the challenges that she and your family faced as caregivers for Sandra? She was younger, but she wasn't an Easter seal child. And um, uh, for Sandra, uh, my, my challenge was always telling everyone she's my sister, not my mother. Um, because of her hard life, because of her medications, uh, Sandra was seven years younger than me, but uh, people still referred to her as my mother. That was a challenge. Um, she was an adult and she wanted her independence more than anything in the world. Um, I had to treat her as an adult. That was a challenge for me. And it, it's really how the book began. We could talk about intelligent things. The book became the focus of our conversation once she was in long-term care. Uh, but my Easter Seal children often said, uh, there's no one here I can talk to. 
they, uh, several of them would enter long-term care in their late 20s or early 30s. And uh, uh, again, not being mainstream, uh, when I left uh, the Easter Seal Society, my desire was that Easter Seals and March of Dimes be one, not that uh, the support of Easter Seals end at age 18 and March of Dimes take over. I mean, there was a disconnect there. There's still a disconnect there. Yeah. But um, too many people did not want to give up their, their little world <laughs> and that's how the structure worked. So um, uh, I lost out on that one. But yeah, it's difficult. Yes, there's a, definitely a lot of challenges when you don't, um, aren't the same as everybody, as the majority, I should say, in the long-term care. Um, exactly. So, and then what were some of the things that you had to do as a caregiver? I think you alluded to some of it, but to think outside the box in terms for certain resolutions or just yeah. in the caregiving process. Well, um, a couple of them I've already mentioned. I wrote to the psychologist, uh, psychiatrist, because about Sanders triggers, he wouldn't talk to me. Um, I wrote to the family doctor as well. Um, when uh, he refused to, um, when he kept pressuring me to remove Sandra from the hospital to long-term care, uh, I used my leverage and threatened with the media and politicians. Uh, but the big thing I did was I, I really became known at the facility. I, I became involved in the facility. I spoke to staff. I knew their names. It was something even when I was working, I would, if I'm doing a, uh, I was doing a, a performance review, I would ask the per person, uh, what's the name of the person who uh, uh, dumps your garbage at the end of the day? Uh, who's the cleaning lady? They, they didn't know. I said, they are people. They are a part of our team. And I made sure um, when I left, everyone knew everyone's name. And when I was at the long-term care, I knew whether they were cleaning, whether they were serving food. I knew their name. I called them by name. And um, I made myself known. Uh, I, I, as I said, I taught yoga. Um, I became involved with family council, so I knew what was going on. And I arranged, um, again, through my work contacts, I arranged bus trips to the theater for residents. And um, that's something that um, uh, they could do for younger people. They could arrange bus trips to concerts. These, uh, Sandra um, went for several years and I would arrange maybe two a year. And uh, they'd go to the Royal Alex and they loved it. They get special seating in the orchestra. And um, uh, once Sandra couldn't go anymore, I stopped. And uh, again, I'm ashamed to say I stopped. Uh, one of the residents came up and said, why aren't we going anymore? And I thought, oh my gosh. I just thought because Sandra couldn't go, um, they would stop, yeah. but um, uh, I had to start them up again. And uh, so other residents could enjoy that uh, outing. Definitely, definitely. And then, you know, this whole caregiving journey, you know, what then becomes, I guess, the new normal for, for someone? Uh, well, Sandra was always right up there in terms of needing an advocate 
Uh, I, as I mentioned, I had to learn the system, how things worked, who you spoke to about what. I hated when social workers changed. I'd be back to st uh, square one, but um, they became pregnant, had babies left, and it was like I had to train somebody new again. Um, finding out how to access whatever Sandra needed. And as I mentioned earlier, Sandra was an item on my everyday list. Uh, I, I thanked uh, people um, for planting flowers. Uh, I, I made sure I noticed anything that changed in the long-term care facility. Uh, didn't matter which department uh, did it, whether it was on Sandra's floor or another floor. Um, uh, I complimented them. And uh, when I went in, uh, many people said hi to me and everyone knew Sandra. And on Sandra's birthday, I would get a, a, a bunch of balloons and uh, on ribbons and tie them to the back of her wheelchair and uh, uh, a couple dozen donuts from Tim Hortons. And we would go around and she would tell me, you know, she wanted to thank that person or she wanted to thank that person. So um, Sandra was well known. Yeah, sounds like it. And, and, you know, through this whole caregiving journey, you tend to see things differently where, you know, small things have a huge impact, just like what Sandra did on her birthday of giving out um, the Tim Horton donuts. What has changed for you and how you see things moving forward? Well, uh, Sandra's day-to-day -day care, of course, uh, is no longer, but um, it's an adrenaline rush for me to uh, continue her legacy. This book could have been called Sandra's Legacy, uh, as well as, uh, and it may be, who knows, uh, but um, uh, I feel we have something to contribute uh, both to the world of science, because um, I believe we have demonstrated that there is uh, a biological, um, a biolog a major biological component to uh, what Sandra was suffering from. And um, it, I will continue to uh, advocate and find uh, a link with someone who is brighter than me and a scientist and whatever, and uh, perhaps uh, take this forward. Um, I'm very interested in doing further support for long-term care and um, making sure that the path becomes a little easier. Uh, as I said, I wasn't successful with Easter Seals. Whether I'll be successful here or not, I don't know. But uh, it was very rewarding for me to do what I did. Um, I'm, as I mentioned before, with regards to street people, the um, long-term care the burden on long-term care facilities is going to increase dramatically, not just because of, um, baby boomers are becoming senior boomers, but also because there is no place for uh, the homeless or street people. And many of them face uh, mentally uh, challenges, mental challenges, and they will, as they age, develop dementia. 
it wasn't until Sandra developed dementia that she was eligible for long-term care. Long-term care wasn't ready for Sandra, but Sandra was ready for long-term yeah. care. Long-term care still isn't ready for the masses that are going to be needing uh, extra assistance. So one is the scientific contribution. And once launched, I want to flesh out my experience with long-term care. It's not a building that's needed. They don't need more, well, they probably do, but, uh, or a lack of skilled people. The main thing is it's the system and how it works. That's what needs fixing. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. So, you know, as we close out, um, would you like to share some further thoughts on the caregiving journey? Uh, well, um, I did. I, I have given a lot of thought and uh, especially with my uh, journey with Sandra. And I do wonder, and I think more about uh, medically assisted death and um, Sandra, when she was admitted in 2008, was told, we were told she had at the most three years. Um, her dementia was so severe and so advanced. And I'm sure it was through um, our care and diligence and um, <clears throat> that uh, she lived as long as she did. She lived 11 years. It, she was 11 years in that long-term care facility. Uh, five years prior, when she could no longer walk, talk, or feed herself, I, I said, you don't want to be here, do you? And with, you know, she said, no, she shook her head, no. And I had no recourse uh, at that point in time. And I wonder, are we keeping a lot of our loved ones alive for us? Um, uh, I mean, I, I would have abided by her thoughts. But again, I would have abided by her thoughts with regards to donating her body to science, but family family dynamics uh, prevented that. But I think it's something that uh, the government, the world really needs to look at. Uh, and uh, if ever I am diagnosed with a terminally ill uh, disease, I will definitely go through the process of making sure I can make the decision for myself. Definitely, absolutely. But I just want to thank you so much, uh, Charlotte, for coming on, speaking about your book, and of course, the caregiving journey, and sharing, you know, a bit of Sandra, um, you know, and letting the audience know. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so much. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you for listening to this episode. And if you liked it, please make sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you're listening to podcasts.